Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving. From cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 255 is recorded live September 10th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest part of Michigan. Post-Labor Day, back to school, and as tradition says, I don't think we're allowed to wear white anymore or something like that. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm here in Waterlogged and doing fine. And I think that's John on the other end. You were trying to figure out who that was. Oh, that's John. Okay. Go- hey. Yes. Get over this tonight and supplied the boat. Thank you very much. Oh, so you you had a boat. So when we well, get we could get across the, the raging river. <laughs> uh, was it really raging? Um, it wasn't really bad. Bad. I mean, I swam back across on the way back. Uh-huh. But uh, we towed Mary Beth and uh, Sarah over. Uh, we had the newer guy who who showed up last week. He was old, he he was with us. Uh, Jake went ahead and was uh, shore support. Nice. So. It was a very nice gathering. It's it's bad enough that you had to take your hood off because it was too freaking hot, oh. which is odd for me to dive with no hood. Yeah, because it, it does feel different when you dive without a hood. Yeah, it was very hot, so I took the hood off. Wow. Well, we'll have to, that, I'm looking forward to hearing about the dives. Uh, thanks for everybody who's in the chat room. We mentioned we have John out there. We also have St. Louis Sam. And uh, I am looking for some new options. Uh, also, if you can drop us a line, go to the website, www.scubobsess.com. Go to the contact form and uh, let us know if you'd be interested in a different chat room. Uh, also, if you're interested in video, I've had a few people mention video. So we've, we've played around with video and we're trying to decide, do we do you know one video a month? Do we do them all a month? Uh, I figure it will take about three times the effort to do a video podcast versus an audio only. Uh, also, should there be something different on video? But until then, so, oh, another way to get a hold of us is you can uh, drop us a line uh, at the show at scubobsessed.com. So it's the show at scubobsessed.com, and that will get to us and we'll be able to review your email. So any feedback, anything you like, oh, and while you're at it, drop us a a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews help us out. Uh, you can listen to us on WRVO Radio, uh, RenoViolaOutdoors.com. Uh, we're also on Stitcher. And I think if you go to Stitcher and you put in Scuba, that brings us right up. But let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. <coughs> and this first article is a follow-up. We like to follow up because that's something we don't think that most media companies do. Is It seems like to, it's hard to have any sort of continuity with articles. So when we find out some more information on something we've covered before, we put that right up front. And this one is from New Zealand. Rena has been underwater for four years now. It's hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday that uh, shipwreck went down. It ran aground in October of 2011. There's currently a hearing underway in uh, Taranga, if I'm pronouncing it right, to decide whether the wreck should stay in the reef or whether it should be removed. Owners of the Rena. Uh, Diana Shipping uh, wants pieces of the wreck to stay where they are due to ongoing cost and danger of removing the ship. They've applied for a resource contest to allow the ship to remain on the reef. The appreciation of the resource consent 
before the tribunal is not simply a proposal by owner and it's underwater, says the shipping representative. It's an application that has been developed and informed every step of the way with feedback from community, local authorities, and Maori. That must be the, the native people of New Zealand. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate to say I don't know. <laughs> M-A-O-R-I, I believe that is. Uh, the representative told the hearing company, oh, told the, told the hearing that the company has been working with local IWI throughout the process has gained large support for the consent application. Our effort has been transparent and open. We provided a draft of the resource con- consent application uh, to all IWI we engaged with month before lodgement and made our experts available for meetings in order to inform Maori and ensure that they are an opportunity to tell us their thoughts and advise what we had not covered, concerned, or had not addressed. So far to date, the operation has cost close to $500 million, making it the second most expensive maritime disaster in history. Only one ahead of it is the Costa Concordia shipwreck, which was in Italy. So they hope they have the hearing done in the next three weeks. Seem, I, you, know, you, said, you said follow-up. Do you remember this one or not? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when it went down. It, it, it uh, I think it was a case of the backup of the backup of the backup. It, it felt very much Exxon Valdez, uh, and it, it crashed right on into the reef. It sat on there for quite a while. Right. It's a big cargo ship that held all those cargo boxes. Containers, yeah. I'm looking right now at the pictures right now, and back at that point, it seemed to have broken in half on that reef. Mm-hmm. So when they're talking about salvaging, it's like, I have no idea what you're going to salvage because it's a junk. It, it's trash. Um, looking at the aerial shots of it, that would be a nice wreck to dive because it's shallow. Well, that, it was, know, I mean, those boats are pretty big. Yuck. So if it's down, when I say shallow, shallow to the front deck, but you still got a ways to go to get to the bottom. Well, I'm looking on this this link in the article. They had photos, and it, like you said, that's a nice wreck to dive on. It's it's already got some some growth that, on it, that, and the cargo is gone. Well, uh, uh, most well, of the hatch covers are gone. It's open, so it looks like you got minimal aspect from entrapment. It would be interesting to see what the stern part did because that's where you got the crew uh, crew quarters. Mm-hmm. I don't have any pictures of that underwater, yeah. but it was shallow enough that I'm looking at some waves and actions on it. Really got beat up. Yeah, it, it's, but, it's, oh, I'd like to dive that one. Yeah, I would like to dive it. And, and I remember when it first went down, that was one of the comments we were saying was, wouldn't this make a great wreck to dive on? Uh, it ran into a reef, one that had caves in it. Uh, so it was, it was a fairly popular reef to dive on before the wreck. Um, you know, my my thought is that it should be, you know, any any they should have had all the, the liquids, all the oils, fuels uh, that they can get off pumped out Mm -hmm. and evacuated but why not leave it for a wreck now if they had agreed or are responsible for taking it off maybe there should be a settlement involved as well you maybe something to help i don't know tourism or also Mm -hmm. was there any damage to the local economy or to the environment based on this Uh, on one of the pictorials it did have uh uh, looked like gelled up mud black so that could have been grease or oil and uh, another picture had uh like four caterpillars on the shore looked like they were raking the shoreline. Uh, I did send you the uh, site for the pictures then now and in between. Mm-hmm. So that's something we could maybe give the people out in the outback there. <laughs> I right. want to look at the ship. Yeah. I'm going to post this also into the chat room. 
And I'm looking at the photos, and it looks wow. I like the the scans that they've got there. That's from thirteen. Oh yeah, the underwater scan. Yeah, those are nice. Yeah, they've got a couple of those. You know, you you almost have to be a diver to appreciate what we're talking about. So you, when when we get all excited and heft up on diving wrecks and seeing parts and pieces, you know, it, it's really junk on the bottom, but it's interesting junk. Well, because it does seem to have a lot of growth on it. Wow, God, there's there's amazing how many videos, uh, not videos, but uh, infographics there? there are. Can you hear me? Hello. Well, now they got all the cartons and stuff, and if the stuff in the cartons were good, I don't know. Well, some of the containers made it almost to shore. Yeah, that's. It's, it's interesting. Well, I don't know if it's real or not, but in between some of those photos, there's a really neat picture of an airplane. I don't think that was part of the wreck, but still an interesting photo. <laughs> Next up we have, is Minnesota doing enough to fight aquatic invaders? And I'm not familiar with this particular issue that they're having, but it's a... Oh, oh this is stonewort. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Just the, the photo must be really zoomed in. Uh, it's a starry storm, a stonewort. Stonewort. Mm-hmm. The latest threat to Minnesota's beloved lake is from an algae known for its stringy green branchlets, rapidly spreading mats, and small puffy snowflake-shaped bulbies. Bulbies. Yep. Denoted in this aquatic invader's name, starry stonewort. Yep. Uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, okay, let's go on. That said. Said Michigan and Wisconsin is already battling the non-invasive algae with little success, and they said it was not surprising that it wasn't long before it got into Minnesota waters. The state officials have confirmed that stonewort is there. They discovered the colony in central Minnesota Lake Cornois, a massive covering 53 lakes. Discovered colony. Oh, the discovered colony is massive. So they're saying it's a large colony. That's uh, covering the 53 acres. Nearby Mud Lake is also infested. Heavy boat traffic going in and out of the popular Lake Cornus has made other Minnesota colonies likely. The trouble with Starry Stonewort, one of the number of destructive aquatic invaders gaining beachheads here, is it isn't likely to choke out native plants and fish. It isn't just that because it does that. Oh, it does that. At right. this point, herbicides don't seem to kill uh, bubblies. Bubblies? 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 Is compl- yeah, just like stonewort, that makes more sense to me. Yes. Well, stonewort, I, but there must be different varieties because this is not like the stonewort I'm familiar with. Uh, on Silver Lake in southeast Wisconsin, the State Department of Natural Resources teamed up with Eco Waterway to try diver-assisted suction harvesting. Workers in scuba gear pluck out branches by hand and feed them through a suction hose into a boat where they're bagged for removal. The unanswered question is whether fragments left behind regenerate. I could tell you yes. <laughs> From somebody who was into aquariums for quite a bit, uh, it doesn't take much at all to spread an aquatic plant. So the cost for the project in Wisconsin was $18,000. They're estimating about 500000 to attack the 53-acre colony in Minnesota. What happened in Michigan? Has it really gone crazy or has it kind of settled out? My understanding, that's why when you go to the Michigan site, look these up. Mm-hmm. Their number one is clean the boat when they come out, and that's both for the invasive species plus the quagga zebras. Yeah, because they can live so long out of the water that if you go from A to B in a weekend, you just contribute to the problem, which means you can never stop it unless you stop the cross migration, which is us basically. Right. 
yeah, it makes you wonder what the, what the approach is. I mean, the, the one thing you hope they don't have to do is just say that you have to register a boat to a certain body of water. Well, they'll quarantine it. That's what they'll do, quarantine the lakes. Yeah. Or they will have mandatory areas where you take the boat in and out, and then you'll have to decon your boat when you take it out and in. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking is that maybe they need to, at boat ramps, provide hoses to give people an opportunity to wash the boat off. The well, thing is- coming into it and you have stuff and you pre-do that, you're just washing the water down into the lake already. Right, but I'm saying if uh, getting people coming out. But you don't get them going in, they could repopulate it that way. Well, I'm saying it's every time you left the lake, you wash the boat off right there. But if you had a guy come in from another lake, though, who didn't, right. how would you know? No, you wouldn't. Right. So their best bet's going to wind up being like a hydro laser plus that to do the bottom, plus your bait box, plus your motor. You're going to have to run fresh water through it or something with an algicide, and somebody's got to pay for it. Because somebody has to be there to watch the boat come in and out. On a busy day, you could back up traffic. It's not oh, going to be popular, but as opposed to not having a lake, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah not, a, not a good situation to be in. No. And this one's out of the UK. Here we have somebody who was uh, playing a little loose with the rules. A diver has been jailed for South End shipwreck cannon fraud. Commercial diver has been jailed for two years after moving three cannons from a 17th century shipwreck and fraudulently selling them for 46,000 pounds. Vincent Woolsgrove, 48, from Ramsgate in Kent, admitted fraud in July after originally claiming the weapons were found in international waters. He said he recovered them from the wreck of the London, which sank off South End in Essex in 1665. Oh, that's what he had later admitted to. So that's... Originally said international waters, and then it ended up coming up from this wreck, which is inside the zone where the crown claims it. He's also been able to order to pay thirty-five thousand pounds cost in Southampton, South yeah Southampton uh, Crown Court. In two thousand seven, Woolsgrove found five cannons at wreck site, but claimed only two had come from there, which, as they were in UK waters, were property of the Crownians insisted the other three cannon were from international waters off Kent's coast. And after he was granted title to them by the Marine and Coast Guard Agency, MCA, sold them to a private collector in the USA in 2010. Subsequent investigation involving historic England, the MSA, and Essex and Kent police was able to prove the cannon originally came from the Dutch ships, were also recovered from the wreck of the London. Mark Harrison, Historic England's crime advisor, said this case sets an important precedence in the fight against uncontrolled salvage by small criminal minority who have no appreciation for English England's maritime heritage. Willsgrove used sophisticated techniques and equipment to remove those valuable artifacts from the seabed. Essex police said he had declared the find would have been in line for a subsequential salvage reward. The MCA is working with U.S. authorities to arrange for them to be returned to the U.K. and would seek to get a proce- proceeds and Crime Act confiscation order against Woolsgrove later. In a separate official operation, a gun carriage was raised from the wreck of the, of the London in August. Now, if they issued the paperwork saying it was legal to go out, and you're an American and you buy it with legal paperwork, is there a disclaimer in the bottom of that paperwork saying, oh, if it's an oopsie, you have to give it back? He would. International law and the law they have nowadays is so weird 
Uh, I, I would hesitate to, to say because I don't know how they're interpreting items anymore. But I did look at this before you had this uh, like last week. And a lot of people say they were out to get the guy. And one of the things is there is no serial numbers on the cannon. So how they could say it really did come from the other one if he didn't tell them, they believe that's not true, the article I read. Not to mention they're saying, and why would it have taken them how many years? Right. They're saying they were out to get them. You're talking from 2007 all the way through 2010, and now it's 2015. Why is there such a long period of time if they had the facts? Well, I think probably what happened is, and, and this is pure speculation, but you have a change in administration, a change in political angle. Uh, now, were they saying that they didn't think that these were from the wreck, or do they think it was? It's just that they were able to finally twist his arm enough to get him to fess up to it. That I, that I can't really determine, because initially I understood that there's no serial numbers on it. So how do you know? Because cannon were traded, cannon were captured. So you just go to cannons on a different boat. You can't say it was such and such. I wouldn't think, not based on what they're saying. Oh, right. And that, and that would be also why you would be willing, if you have that intent to do, to do some fraud, why you'd be willing to play with it and say, hey, these weren't from here, but they were from there. So uh, just to kind of play devil's advocate, I'm going to say that, you know, he originally identified five cannons and then uh, they go back and look and the numbers don't add up anymore. You know, so he had two that he raised from there. So there should be three more, but there weren't three. Yeah. So there could have been some accounting and then there could be, you know, disgruntled partners or associates or employees, you know, can a few years later do a tip. You know, if you fire them with cause, without cause, and all of a sudden they're like, well, yeah, you're going to get rid of me because I, I, did, I showed up late. Well, I can take care of you. Here's a call to the to them going, hey, I, I really know where those came from. Because he certainly, yeah. if he took them off another wreck, he didn't do that by himself. Look at the size of that beast. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's, it's well, a, I always like the word, you know, what did he say here? Sophisticated techniques and equipment. I don't see anything sophisticated about lift bags, you know, and a crane. Yeah, you just have to have a boat big enough. You have to lift it up. Uh, you know, a recreational diver with less than 10 dives is probably going to have a challenge lifting a cannon. But if I'd you're, be curious to know the depth. That's the only other item we don't know. Uh, of this particular shipwreck, I think from the, the other article, it's very shallow. Because uh, isn't this from the London? I, I'm not really sure. That's why I'm just saying don't know the depth, but I know that if it's less than 100 foot, uh, we can bring that up. Yeah. Hey, no problem. <laughs> Unofficially, <laughs> I just said we could have brought that up. Yeah, that's what, that's one opportunity I haven't had. Is I've I would like to go and be on some recovery projects where we have to actually use a lift bag. Uh, oh, you I, you never really have, have you? No, no, we've never never had anything where we had any need to use a lift bag. I mean, we've had objects that we've used that we've raised and lowers, lowered an object with a lift bag, but I haven't had anything where we've we've done a salvage. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one we've done lately, well, a couple of years ago, was when we recovered that trailer-driven... Compressor. Compressor yeah. and parts. I think that was in the area of 3,000 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's to me, anything over 1,000 pounds, and yeah, that's a, that's a serious weight you're, you're maneuvering. Yeah. And then in Melbourne, somebody discovered that, uh, you know, you take some tanks under a little bit of pressure, you heat them up, and they go kaboom. 
You know, I always wonder, do they really mean the pressure disc or they really went kaboom? Well, and that's the thing is they don't tell you. So here, here's the article. This is out of uh, New Zealand. Is it New Zealand, Australia? Melbourne. Fire broke out Melbourne, Australia. Fire broke out in a Melbourne garage full of scuba tanks and caused several to explode and resulting in $80,000 worth of damage. It took fire crews 45 minutes to extinguish the blaze on Saturday, which doesn't sound long for a fire. Firefighters were called to the Whitsonia home after reports of loud explosions coming from the garage, said uh, MFB. Yeah, so they're not clear. So it didn't sound like they all exploded. So I'm I'm betting it was burst disc. Because that was going to be my question to you is, if you had a fire, wouldn't the burst disc be the thing that goes, not the whole tank? I would hope so. I would hope so. Now, it's possible that, I mean, we've seen those tanks at Wolf's where they're just ripped open. Yeah. Now, were those, now, did those blow up, the ones that we see at Wolf's that are just, like, shredded? I don't know how they'd happen. I think normally that happens. I've seen them after a fire. They look like that, but I don't know if that's because they melted. But I don't really understand why that would explode since the pressure disc had rupture before yes. that structural integrity like that rips them apart. Yeah, I don't so, know. So this goes as the don't try it at home. But I have seen different objects that are under pressure in fires, and it seems like there's rarely any explosive decompression, and most of the mutilation is caused by the heat of the fire after the fact. So if you have something under pressure, it's like as soon as that, it's kind of like shaking your, your pot bottle or can, it, you've got that, where you've got a tiny little opening, it'll come out under pressure or velocity, but it's usually not a significant, like, explosion. Now, it is, I have heard that there's, uh, what does they say, like a half stick of dynamite in each tank, each 80? Well, you talk about the compressed, how many pounds per square inch that are suddenly released, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, I mean, what's the equivalent of Dan for tank explosions? There's got to be somebody out there who's who's got it. Maybe it's something for the Mythbusters. Well, I was just looking at a little item. Scuba tank explodes, kills man, shatters windows, damaged cars. He was carrying, say, a Florida man was carrying, was killed Sunday. Scuba tank he was carrying exploded. The massive blast blew the victim through the apartment doorway, shattering, shattering windows and damaging cars in a 100-foot radius. The um, guy was taken to the hospital, pronounced dead, said the man was planning to go scuba, scuba diving. Some friends with some friends who was carrying the tank to the parking lot when it blew up. Yeah, that'd be the exact time you don't want it to blow up. And uh, here's one of the items. I've searched for information. I can't agree that the annual, you know, the bottom line is, how does it explode? Because they're asking the same thing. The disc, yeah. Or the head could come off because the the strips, the uh, screws. Yeah, the, the valve threads. Yeah. Right, because then it got hot and had more pressure and then it blew them out. And then they were saying the investigators are looking into possibility the cylinder may have had oxygen in it, which would then accelerate any kind of uh, fire that you would have had. Yeah, if you had a fire, the oxygen would certainly act as a, an accelerant. Uh, but as far as the explosive force, which is what I imagine causing most of the damage. Yeah, from the diving services on the tanks, tanks do not explode for no reason. In fact, tanks should never explode if the burst disc is in place and functioning, certainly heating and overfilling can cause a danger. But if the pressure disc or burst disc is in place, it should rupture before the tank does. Most tanks do rupture, do so during filling and occasionally occur when uh, filling station attendants fail to prop, uh, fill at a proper rate 
overfill the tanks. Tank explosions uh, while being carried are very rare indeed, generally when filling, followed by storing in a hot, closed environment, such as cars and direct sunlight, garages without environmental controls. So the word explosion is interesting. Hmm. But burst disc is not going to throw you through a wall. No. But in the case of a fire in a garage, it would certainly make a noise. And then you could, if you're a neighbor, that might be what alerted you. And then you report that. Yeah. It will definitely get your attention. Now, I'm looking at the, the items here, and it's like, eh, far-fetched, unlikely, even with oxygen. Uh, let's look here. The guy at a Democlast discussed this particular case. The diver had filled the tank with nitrox. The tank had a had the burst disc valve removed, okay, yeah. and replaced with a plug, and the neck of the valve appeared to be on fire at the time of the explosion. The neck that was would, on that, fire? That would, have, that would have denoted the use of petroleum product uh, of some time not suited for nitrox, and the fill with nitrox under high pressure caused the neck to leak fire, and explosion followed. Yeah. Well, that, that is what I understand the official report to have said, according to the guy teaching the class. And that sounds like a case of multiple issues. First thing is they've they've bypassed the 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 disc, and then they didn't have it O2 clean, and they put oxygen in it. Right. So that was somebody who just didn't quite believe that all those safety procedures were really needed. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to send you a picture, and if you wanted to share this one, this is pretty freaking cool. You talking about that stick of dynamite? This is take a look at this car. Okay. Got it? Holy mackerel, yeah. Oh, uh huh. Uh, yeah. Here it says, as they stated, either he had an old tank with a burst disc or tampered with it and modified it so it didn't work. So I'm saying, I'm looking at that there. Yeah. And they're but, talking, you've got 90, 90 degree day with a car trunk, might reach 150 degrees, a full aluminum 80 at up to 400 degrees Fahrenheit to bring to hydro pressure, which is 5,000 pounds. Burst disc, which can sound like an explosion in a Toyota. Would blow out at forty five hundred, relieving the pressure. So yeah. how the hell did that happen in that car? Yeah, well, overfill bypass the burst disc, and if I had to guess, we're talking about Florida. Yeah, this is this guy said what you did. Maybe this story needs to be forwarded to MythBusters. Yeah, well, MythBusters, I, was, I, I need to look through my shows. It seems like remember Jaws, where they had the tanks, and at the end of the movie, he shot it and blew up the shark. I saw that one. I think they tested that, but I can't remember the yep, results. They did, and it does not go boom. Okay. It's just like knocking the freaking valve off. Right. The tank is crazy. It jets around until the pressure goes away. But it doesn't rip. It because doesn't it's, go boom. Because it's not like uh, some sort of ripping material where you make a hole and then it just separates on a seam. Right. I, you know, I've seen them take, put them in a V-notch of, of wood, mm -hmm. take a sledgehammer and knock the valve off. I have seen... Dumbass people doing that. And that will shoot that tank just like a freaking rocket. Yeah. Doesn't explode. You don't want to be in the way of it. No, I bet that would be a bad day for your ankle or knee. Well, I've seen them. Actually, I've had one burst disc in my uh, garage, blue. My wife called me at work and said, the neighbors are concerned because there's a tank went out of my garage and was rolling around in the front yard, <laughs> screaming. That's when, I can see that. that's when you that's when you ask him is that is that the one that says uh, nitroglycerin on it yeah well i i know one thing i had one go in my trunk when i'm going someplace and i do know that when you're in traffic the traffic goes away from you when that happens 
You watch their eyes get big and they steer away from you. So as you're going to the side of the road, there's no car in your way on the right. So you're saying a strategic, like a variable burst disc that you could use when you need to get through traffic could be <laughs> handy. Uh, I just hooked the damn thing up to a big old air horn like for a truck and they wonder where that truck's coming from because they don't yeah. see anything but a small car. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. There's a, there was somebody who had a bike horn that they rigged to use a scuba tank. Yeah. Well, this we'll, we'll next. Look, look for some more stuff on that tank because I just cannot believe going to knock you through the wall, but. Looking at the damage of that car, that was freaking substantial. Well, here's this one is out of New Zealand. They said an underwater observatory has been operating in Queenstown Bay for the past 30 years without a land use consent. The abnormally has been picked up by the Queenstown Underwater Observatory leasee, Kaylet, while carrying out due diligence ahead of buying the structure, which is attached to jetty extending from, oh, to a jetty extending from the Marine Parade. But these, these terms are just a little bit different. I think we would just call this landfill. Uh, KJET director Sean Kelly said the company had applied for a retrospect consent to tidy up the ab, the anomaly. We were just going through our, our consent and making sure everything was in order. And then this came out. Although the court had approved the structure when it was built in 1983, it had not deemed the land use consent to be necessary even after the introduction of the Resource Management Act in 1991. You'd have thought they'd grandfathered it. Well, that's how we would do it here is that you're grandfathered in unless they specifically say that you need to reapply or be reinspected. But Except, I can't figure how you get a land use out of something on the water. That's what's odd. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can say that it was anyone's fault. It was just a system and now it's being tidied up. And it may run into the fact that if you don't have the current use, like you might have been grandfathered in, but the transfer to grandfather doesn't apply anymore. So then at that, if I'm buying it, uh, I want to make sure that's all clear so I don't get it and then they make you tear it down. Uh, the consent application prepared by G. Todd Law says the company was granted consent to renovate the observatory in 2000 after it was inundated by floodwaters in 1999. Therefore, its current design and appearances was granted consent, but the original structure and commercial use had never been approved. KJET has leased the three-level structure since 1998 and runs the attraction 11 hours a day, seven days a week in concert with its jet boat business. Businesses can watch and feed brown and rainbow trout while storyboards explain the Maori mythology history of Lake Wakatupu. Companies in the process of buying the observatory from Queenstown couple John and Glennis Taylor. I was looking at the application for land use contract, and I don't see how that's going to make one darn bit of difference. The only item is water permit, discharge permit, subdivision consent, and others. Meaning, do they use water in that facility on the water? Do they discharge water from that facility back into the water? But everything else looks to be nothing to do with it. Location of trees, streams, drains, existing proposed access point and internal roading. Details of landscaping, existing signs, area dimensions of property, road to the property frontage. So just looking at the form, I'm not sure how you'd even fill that out for that. Yeah, They're saying it's a three-story structure. Looking at the photo, it seems like there's a level that's kind of like splitting the difference. Is there another level below that, how they're getting three stories? Well, I'm just curious, is, is that on the bottom or is that free-floating? Because if it's on the bottom, then technically it is a land item you know what i mean yeah 
Well, that, I think it is on the bottom. I think that's okay. a concrete structure. Right. I think that there's a level that's kind of split between the water, and I think there's another level below. Because that top level, I would only count as one because if you look, it's got the glass roof. It's kind of like a solarium. So unless there's a loft in there and they're counting that, it seems like it's it's an attractive little location. I was looking at it, trying to get a picture of it to help you know us try to figure it out, but mm-hmm. I'm not having any luck. Interesting, but seems like, again, grandfathering, and it should not have been a major problem. Well, and then it's another case of how you followed everything to begin with, and then somebody decides to, I mean, if you do everything right to begin with, how can you then end up being wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, Montana Fish and Wildlife Parks reminds boaters and anglers and other users of the water to look out for scuba divers. To alert boaters of the activities, divers will float a diver's down flag on the water or attach it to their boats to mark the dive area where divers are active and might be near the surface. Boaters can prevent accidental collisions with divers by staying clear of at least 200 feet safety zone around the diver down flag. The diver down flag is a red bisected by a white diamond stripe. The stripe runs from the upper left corner of the flag to the lower right. The diver down flag may be displayed on a float or a dive boat and should be lowered or removed from the water once a diver has safely exited the water. In Montana, motorized boats must stay 200 feet away from a diver down flag. A motorboat may only enter the 200-foot safety zone by use of sail or oar. In emergency, and if there is insufficient water on either side of the 200-foot safety zone to pass by and stay out of the zone, the motorboat operator may use power within the zone but may not exceed no wake speed. You'll see that a lot around rivers like we dive. Yeah. And unless you're out in the middle, it's not normally a problem because they just go to the outside. Right. But I have been below and had my flag pulled and I go up and it's the DNR or the local Marine uh, Sheriff Department asking if I please move my flag so the boats could go by. Oh, okay. So boats were being backed up. Right. So what I did is put that up. When he left, I went diving without my flag. (laughs) It It was steep and deep. Yeah. So as long as you went in, you were definitely going to miss, you know. And that was a a smaller waterway, so they're not going to be, you know, really speeding because people mm-hmm. get this going the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah, because that is a, the challenge. Um, and we need to. I think we need to do a special on dive flags coming up. Talk about all the maybe we organize all the states and the different what their different flag rules are. And then what is allowed to get around? Because I've always heard that you can motor within that distance if you have a spotter and you're going at no wake speed. And it's a case like in the river where the river isn't wide enough to accommodate a diver and a boat. Yeah. Florida, the only one I'm familiar with, Florida has that rule in rivers and stuff. We do not in Michigan. That's not referenced. Right. So that's where you, you run into it where they'll give us some grief then if we're out diving Blocking traffic. I know where you go. The flag sizes are different. The height of the flag above the float is different. They've just done that new one in uh, Florida where you can actually, like, it looks like a beach ball. <laughs> it's got three or four corners with the dive flag on it, same diver below. Yep. So it, it does change. But again, the solution is not solution. At the access point for boats, put up the dive flag stickers, the big ones, so people know. Yeah, the, the, we're probably due to update our, our paperwork. Maybe make some signs, especially in the spots where we're diving. I don't want to be run over. 
Nope. And we still have, I probably still have another 50 or more pictorials with that information on it. Yeah, a good spot would be the DNR boat ramp. That seems to be pretty heavily trafficked there in Benton Harbor. That's true. And there is none there. Yep. I have them. I can laminate one. We can slap one of those suckers up. Yep. Both of them, actually. Now, how's this? Uh, diving the country. Oh, are you at the proper age or you're at a different one? No, this one is the... Oh, Northern Michigan? Yes. Okay. I must have skipped that one and went to the other one. I'm up there now, though. Yep. Uh, Jennifer Idol, uh, who is a professional diver and photographer, added a new title to her list of accomplishments. She said, today marks the 50th dive in my 50-state journey in the last five years. I can't believe it's done, she said. She's the only woman to scuba dive in all 50 states. Michigan was the last one on her list. So she saved the best for last. The Great Lakes is a big dive. It's something divers dream of doing because the wrecks here are stunning. They are perfectly preserved wooden wrecks. Sometimes they're uh, crushed and hardly recognizable, but here I can capture full ships with bows and sterns and things that look like ships, explains Jennifer. Her goal is to find the best of every state and encourage everyone to do the same. I want people to be proud of America. I want them to take proud, uh, pride in the areas around them and the beauty of the natural geography of our country. This is a magnificent place, and it's geography that really sets it apart from other countries and allows us to enjoy some of the freedoms we have, says Jennifer. While her state is obvious, uh, draws as a diver in other places, you had to look a little harder, like Nebraska. She said she dove the Sandy Creek Recreational Area, which is basically some holes in the ground they dug out to build a highway. And it still smells like a highway, but it's actually a popular dive site and found a bunch of fish and some great macro photography there. Other landlocked states, other inland waters like Tennessee are surprising. They have a quarry. In the quarry, you can find extraordinary things like paddlefish. She finds beauty no matter where she goes. I really like wide-angle photography. I like seeing seascapes. I like seeing big picture, understanding the structures and how everything works. As a subject matter, I have everything from wildlife to cave environments to wrecks. I'm looking for the best of every environment. What do you call? What do you mean landlocked states? I think she means states that aren't ocean or Great Lakes. So, hmm. I mean, you've got Tennessee. But, but in Tennessee, though, you've got a lot of diving there, not in quarries. All the TVA dams, Dale Holler, a few places like that. Well, and you got to think about it. you got to look, and that's, uh, as we've covered many times in the show, one uh-huh. of the things that always impressed me when I, I got into diving is once you realize that if there's water and it's deep enough, you can get in there. Yeah. So you just got to be. You got water in it, dive it. Yeah, you got to be creative. You know, you got rivers. Every state, I am not aware of a state that doesn't have a river. Somewhere. Well, in the U.S. I think every state has at least a river, probably more than one lake. Now, what is the proper age to learn how to scuba dive? This is an I article that we, we, we've had for a while and we've, we haven't covered. Uh, so they're talking about uh, about 15 years ago, the World Recreational Scuba Training Council dropped the age limit for junior certification from 12 to 10 years old. Most of the major dive associations adopted these rules, but there's still some controversy how old a child should be to get scuba certified as a scuba diver. Not every child is ready or wants to learn to dive at a young age. Children mature at different ages. Several factors determine when a child is ready to learn scuba, including size, learning ability, attention span, impulse control, dexterity, and comfort in open water. 
In reality, some folks, no matter what their age, do not want to learn to dive. And I think I'm going to add shouldn't. (laughs) There are some people who shouldn't dive. They said just because a parent thinks scuba is a great idea, the child may not think so and could just as be just as happy swimming in a pool or snorkeling in a controlled environment. More important, waiting a few years could avoid unpleasant experiences and perception of failures for the child. It might be better to wait a few years and have a happy child learn a lifelong hobby. And they go through and they talk about the different levels of certification for children. Some, uh, as young as eight, can be bubble blowers or SEAL team. Uh, the program allows them to go to a maximum depth of 12 feet. Uh, before a 10- to 11-year-old can start PADI certification, of course, a parent or guardian is required to watch a youth risk management DVD and review young diving responsibility and risk flip chart and read and sign the young diving responsibility and risk acknowledgement form. After certification, junior open waters 10 to 11 years old are restricted to dive with a parent or guardian or certified and insured dive master instructor to a maximum of 40 feet deep. 12 to 14 years of age are certified junior open water divers restricted to a depth limit of 70 feet and must stay with an adult certified diver. All potential divers, including adults, must also complete health questionnaires and sign diving <clears throat> responsibility and liability release forms. See, I, I have a it's, – it's an odd item. I agree one item depends on the child or the, the individual, but it still comes down to diving is a risky sport. It places him in a hostile environment. Can a child truly understand the risk he's taken when he goes diving? If you're going to be uh, parachute jumping, there's a minimum age for the same reasons. Can you make a good judgmental decision? The other aspect, when you're diving with a child, you're basically diving solo, but they're saying they also have the responsibility as being a buddy. Even though he's a young, a child is responsible for rescuing his adult buddy in case of an emergency. Probably not. It's hard enough for an adult to save another adult. Right. I, I, I really have a problem with something that age. I really, really do. Well, I would not do that from the legalities. Well, and, there, and there's a saying that you don't put adult responsibilities on, on children. So it's not to say that they can't aid somebody who is in trouble, but it can't be their responsibility. So say they couldn't. I mean, you've created a heck of a impact or a stigma on a child if somebody they dove with dive for whatever reason. Yeah. So it's it's... It's not their fault. So I agree with you from that aspect. I think the adult diver should treat it as they're diving solo so they have enough to where they can certainly get out themselves on their own. Plus, they're also taking uh, a a somewhat dive master role in protecting that child no matter what mistakes they make while they're underwater. Well, they're saying children generate or would likely have a nonchalant attitude about diving safety because, hey, I do it. It's fun. I'm warm. But when it turned out not to be warm or suddenly got cloudy or there, there's so many variables, I, I still would be uncomfortable. 16 to me is about it. Mm-hmm. And and, believe, and before that, I'd do a, a, a young girl to diving for with a guy because they are more, generally speaking, mature at 16 than a guy is at 16. Yeah. And they are not as prone to risky behavior, which is a proven fact. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. They don't quite have that daredevil immortality wiring. Or show-off aspect. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and I know people who have done it, and I, even within our club years ago. That's another item, too. The kids today are different than they were 20 years ago. Big difference. Yeah. My cousin or my nephews, for example, they're bigger now than I was when I was in the freaking army. 
Yes. <laughs> and he's 14 years old. It does seem to be that way that, uh, uh, I don't know if it's the hormones in the meat or whatever you want to say, That's but right they, here. They, they tend to be a little beefier. And again, in a pool, warm, clean environment, 12 feet, you know, yeah. if he doesn't hold his breath, you know, you're, you're probably are not going to drown him. He's not going to drown himself, you know, but yeah. ain't well, no way in blaze that I would leave my kid. I'd be doing a handhold, man. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the other part of it is, uh, you know, my, my kids, I've let them, uh, my son had no desire. I mean, he, they, they kind of went in phases like, yeah, he wanted to learn. And then he had the epilepsy. So that blocked him out of it. Now that he's. He had Rolandic type, which you outgrow at puberty. And now that he can, he just really isn't that interested. My daughter, uh, she did blow on the regulator in the pool once, but she's kind of said, eh, that's not my thing. But I think as they get older, they may be more interested again. By the same token, going back to who belongs to clubs nowadays or organizations, Mm -hmm. lesser and less and less because it appears that more kids are getting attuned to electronic Right. Activities as opposed to physical activities. Well, and and that's that's something I and I I don't know if we can solve it. Certainly probably can't, but uh kids can group up instantly online, have a pseudo club, get all the benefits of being in that club or that grouping of, of peers and then be done with it within a couple months. You know, that's it's much quicker in coming in and out of a group of friends, I think, than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, I just know that if I was a 12 to 14 year old kid and you're junior diving is what, 60 feet? Yeah. Open water. I know adults who are not really, really comfortable with doing a, oh my God, from 60 feet. Right. What's that 12 or 14 year old kid going to do? No different than a lot of the adults. No. No. And it's all in training and levels. I like the tiered that they do, but just because somebody's older in an older tier doesn't mean they don't also need to go through that steps because uh, oh, kid task loading, which we've talked about in the past, kids just aren't. And that can be into their 20s before they really have the maturity to task load. And that's something that even me, I can remember first getting into diving at the pool. It seemed daunting. All the stuff you had to plug together to check to make sure everything worked. Uh, but after, you know, eight or 10 dives, and you start getting comfortable. You know, which way does the valve go when you put on the regulator? And that becomes not so much of a constant focus because when you, when you have to focus in so much detail, just to hook something up right, there's so many other aspects of, of diving that you may be missing. I know at my age down there when I started making helmets, I had no freaking clue what I was doing. I was just like I didn't kill myself. Yeah. I never held my breath. I was using helmets, you know, and a bicycle pump thing. But again, I did not know. That holding your breath could have killed me. Well, I don't think many people did, you know, other than Jacques Cousteau and what the other four people who had dove before then. And well, even when I did first scuba back in a long time ago <laughs> with a borrowed tank from a friend, you know, no BC, none of that crap. I never had a problem. Is why I lived. But if it, if I'd had a conked out of there at twenty five feet, I probably would have held my breath and came out. Yeah, didn't know any better. No, well, and that's what you would think you would do. Well, that's one thing that they talk about with free divers and scuba divers together, that that's a risk. Because if you're a scuba diver helping a free diver yeah. and they haven't been trained to know they need to breathe out, yeah, uh, you could seriously hurt a, a free diver. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a conversation that will everybody has a, a different opinion. 
based on their own experience and their own kids. Mm-hmm. Well, here's how's this for getting into diving and for something you love? We have Charlotte Orba. She said, I loved my job for 15 years. I really loved it until one day I didn't. I ran the pop music degree at Leeds College of Music, and I was a it was a great creative environment. But one day it occurred to me that I had to wait 16 years until I got my pension, and the idea of sitting around waiting felt like no way to live. I was 45, and this coincided with the breakdown of my 20-year relationship. It was classic midlife crisis. I let it be known I didn't want to stay on at work, and when they restructured, there was no longer a position for me. At that moment, I thought, oh, shit, what have I done? (laughs) Didn't have a plan at first, uh, just my redundancy money. I always wanted to go traveling, so one lunchtime, I Googled international volunteering and popped up marine conservation in the San Chiles. I thought it sounded uh, ludicrous, began joking to my friends what I was going to do. I had never been diving in my life, no maritime biology experience. The more I joked about, the more I wondered if I could actually do it, and then I signed up. Sold my house, packed up my possessions in 20 boxes, left my mom. Everybody said it was incredibly brave. I wasn't scared. I didn't have kids, so I didn't have any sort of responsibility. I was excited, plus volunteer program was three months after I finished, I'd come home. Uh, My first dive was incredible. I rolled off the boat in the crystal clear, 30 Celsius, 86 (laughs) degree Fahrenheit water, surrounded by coral and angelfish, butterfly fish, even sea turtles. I trained for my paddy and four sea water in the Lake District, so 30 sea felt quite warm. Two and a half years later, I'm still here. I'm now a marine educator teaching visitors about sea life and teaching them to snorkel and dive. My desk is a picnic table 10 meters from the best beach on the island. How about that? Hey, anybody can do it. I just got to get the um, up and do it. But like I said, helps when you're not married, don't have kids, yeah, and give it a shot. Well, the other thing I was thinking about is... She's 45 and 16 years. She's going to be able to retire. We don't get, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a little older than 45, but I know I've got at least another 20 years before I can even begin to retire. And now I'll be eating romaine noodles and probably dog biscuits. Well, I like cup of soups myself. They work out for me and they're less than a buck each. <laughs> but I think her 16 or 15 years was basically tenure. You have something coming in doesn't mean you don't have to work. But at least right. you got some kind of money coming in. Right. That's uh, it's a lot of your uh, organizations will do that. Uh, and again, that's great. But you do that for 15 and suddenly you're 60. And it's like, okay, now what do you do? Well, and what have you done? Uh, and, and you have to have health. I mean, there's you could, if you wait till you're 60 to dive, well, there's people who have done it much later than that. Uh, you may have health reasons where your doctor's going to say no way. Yeah. And this next article uh, was one that you had, you had uh, found. And it talks about a stunt man who was uh, the stunt coordinator to keep Tom Cruise safe. So he's got the movie that's in the theaters now, Mission Impossible. And uh, what is he saying? Uh, before well, the key he... item I was talking about on that one was when everybody sees that Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and he's mm-hmm. sitting outside that airplane as it's taking off, uh, Tom Cruise did that. That was not a stunt double. He did that nine different times up to 5,000 feet because he wanted – to do it because then his face, his reactions is, 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 are real. Right. And he said, it's a little bit scary because, you know, you, you can't be too safe. Right. And like he said, if he knew it was totally safe, his performance wouldn't be the same. If you're a little scared, it's going to show. And it did. It was very, very good. The second part that was good, and I enjoyed the movie. 
I, I mean, I just, I'm a movie junkie anyway. Right. But one of the aspects is an underwater sequence in which he holds his breath for reported six minutes as, he, you know, he gets a computer chip in this Taurus assembly. The interesting part was he, again, trained with a free diver to learn the breath-holding techniques. And even though it looks like it was a complete six minutes, you know, obviously it wasn't. But again, Cruz likes to do everything to make it real. You got to give him some credit for that. Yeah, I, I certainly do. Uh, anybody can do their own stunts. Yeah. Well, like you said, Tom, Tom really wanted to make the sequence difficult, and we wanted to take the audience on that journey with him. It was, um, I enjoyed the movie, a lot of action, uh, and, and we don't even go into the motorcycle aspect. That was great, too. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie yet. I, I need to. I, I had the opportunity to go this last weekend, and my wife and I kind of bailed and just watched movies at home. I can't remember if it's this Sunday's movie at the Celebration, $5 movie. Or if it's uh, the man from Uncle's, one of those. Uh, yeah. One of well, the see, see I, I, I don't go to that fancy St. Joe movie theater. I go to the uh, bargain theater in Niles. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one I think I you can. Remember they have uh, senior stuff yeah. or the $5 Saturday or Sunday. They've been doing a $5 Tuesday. Yeah. I get my bucket, so I get my free popcorn. And uh, $2 Tuesdays on the freezies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I got my day scheduled. Yeah, uh, the Celebration does a uh, pretty decent if you if you do that Sunday. Uh, Ready does I think it's like four dollar tickets or six dollar tickets is all the time. The one you got to remember is when they do the the mom and kids one. Mm-hmm. That's the one the adults don't want to go to unless you got a kid with you. A little noisy. Uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then that's really the value is it's it's for that. But we used to do that. Then my wife and I uh, had younger kids. We would we would go on that one. They had a they had a nice program because you can't you can't afford you can't in the big name theaters where it's eight to twelve dollars for a ticket you know four of you and that's before popcorn and everything else and you can drop over a hundred dollars for four people to go to movies you so you yeah yeah you're talking twenty bucks easy yeah. up ahead yeah. well, let's easy. go let's go ahead and jump ahead here in the the articles we'll get to the ones where it's a uh, the cool scuba gear because we're running a little bit short in time because I definitely want to talk about the diving that's going on. Uh, but here we have the Generation X diving 2,000 feet underwater. So this is the authors talking about diving on Rotan Island in Honduras, an adventure with uh, Carl Stanley. According to National Geographic 2002, Stanley once broke into a police station to destroy parking tickets. The teen's troubles at reform school landed him in New Jersey State Mental Hospital, which surprisingly had nothing to do with the submarine he started building at age 15. The week he graduated from college, the New Jersey native took Seabug, his first sub on a main dive. Early issues included the normal leaks, sprung gaskets, cracked window, and at 600 feet, he, that soaked a passenger with the seawater. So the maiden voyage, he went to 600 feet. With his new submarine, Ida Bell, Stanley runs unlicensed and uninsured passengers' dives in Honduras. One of the few countries that would allow it, Stanley famously tells people their only insurance is, I am going with you. In other words, if you die, I die too. Uh, submarine option goes, uh, dive option goes 2,000 feet underwater. Uh, through a series of emails, the author scheduled the marine dives for Thanksgiving weekend. Stanley's Roatan Institute of Deep Sea Exploration operates out of Roatan, the largest of the Bay Islands located off the Caribbean coast of Honduras. Bay Islands are Boca Roatan or Boca uh, Bonoca Ridge. Distance made up my own location. Peaks from extensive Mesoamerican barrier reef 
and the one that National Geographic writer famously compared to the Great Barrier Reef. Christopher Columbus, so the story goes, helped name Honduras, an old Spanish word for depths, in part after Cayman Trench that drops to more than 25,000 feet right off shoreline. 25,000 feet off shoreline? Wow. Yeah, it's deep quick. The steep ocean topography allowed Ida Bell to depart from the dock at Half Moon Bay as opposed to needing a boat to take the sub out to sea. Uh, so they, they say they met Stanley for the first time at 10 a.m. on the day of the dive. At the ducks, Ida Bell hung a few feet above the water right in front of the Stanley's residence. The bright yellow sub looked smaller than he expected. When he arrived, a man saluted, uh, shouted towards the house. Stanley appeared in his white picket balcony wearing light brown shirt, shorts, and no shoes. Speaking in Spanish, the man in the dock said something about Tarzan right as Stanley grabbed the metal bar and sailed over the water to the dock on a zip line. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm sorry, but we have a little bit of a problem. Apparently, he had left Ida Bell's lights on overnight, so at least that's how we interpreted his tech speak. It might not have enough juice for a dive. <laughs> Furthermore, he had German scientists arriving the next morning for a week of deep-sea research, so we only had one option. We had to reschedule for tonight. On a normal day dive, the submarine enters perpetual darkness around 18,000 feet. For us, darkness would come much earlier. It also meant we had a better chance of seeing strange marine life, pre-gaming with tropical cocktails at sunset returned to the dock at night. On his own without passengers, he is known to push the limits, taking Idabel to 2660 feet. Should he ever go too deep, the sub would explode into a small metal ball. The budget to dive is a September 2015 for two passengers. It runs $1,000 plus tax to go to 1,000 feet underwater. A 2,000-foot dive costs 1800 while uh, Lophelia Reef Dive adds a sea coral oasis for 2400 Jaws Obsessed Fan can fork over 3000 for the six-skill shark hunt, which Stanley attaches bait to the sub, dives deep at night and silently waits for hours and time the prehistoric shark longer than the sub will take the bait and give Ida Bell a heart-stopping shake. On our 2,000-foot dive, Stanley attached bait just in case. I can tell you that if I'm 2,000 feet under in a small submersible, I do not want a shark giving me a, a shake. Uh, just to wake you up. Make sure make sure your, your blood's going. I think my blood already would be going. So what even they though they brought... A atomizer on the thing that would spray water in and you think it's leaking, that would get your heart going. Oh, yes. <laughs> the practical jokes for underwater subs, that, that'd be good. He said he provided a professional camera attached to the outside... Flash to take pictures through a 30-inch dome window. No pictures in the first 40 minutes, though, as we dove straight down the trench. At the 2,000-foot mark, uh, Ida Bell slowly ascended to the reef for the next few hours. As someone had logged in more than 50 dives in places like the Blue Hole and Belize, Sipadan in Malaysia, and Beagle Channel and the Tierra del Fiego archipelago, I'm not afraid to suggest scuba divers and generally do not see much more than snorkelers. The same cannot be said when comparing submarine dives and scuba dives. Normal plant life stops about 300 feet in extreme depths. The lack of light produces rocky terrain and strange adaptations of marine life. Ida Bell illuminated a path with outside lights, but when the lights were off, the ink-black darkness imagines a bottomless abyss. From the mental confines of the Ida Bell, we did not see colorful coral, rich plant life, or even abundance of fish. In fact, there's not much activity at those depths, but the aquatic life we do see seems alien. So they saw uh, stocked crinoids, sea lilies that can actually walk and swim, 
Idabel also came upon a polka-dotted anglerfish, a Cuban chimera, briskelled starfish, and pink frogmouth, apparently imitating Jack Nicholas's uh, scowl and a few good men. So would you do that? If I had the money, I'd pay more and go on the Titanic. Yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. He built the thing himself. Yeah, did you get the last words on that? Let's see if I can find it again. Let's see. Countries like the U.S., Russia, Japan, France, England engage in limited deep-sea exploration in local waters, but Latin America countries, not so much, which tells me maybe they're not as safe as the other ones. What do you think? What, that the, the, the Central America, <laughs> is it a safe? Well, I just said, but Latin American countries, not so much. Huh. Well, I just don't I think, think there's the money. I just don't think there's the money. And then also, they don't even have a mechanism for controlling it. You know, the, not that they need to control it, but you have to have some sort of safety procedures. But that's, that's it's probably beyond what infrastructure they have. Yeah, or who enforces the safety procedures in Latin American countries? Uh, no, so I'll go down there and work. I can fly my airplane down there a little different than I can fly it up here. <laughs> you can but buzz the beach. Well, since we're talking deep stuff, you want a couple of factoids? Sure. The human depth record in a chamber was set November 1992 at 2,300 feet using hydrogen-oxygen mixtures. The record before that was at Duke University in 1981 to 2,251 feet. The deepest open sea dive was in 1998 at 1,752 feet. Fast descent rates on dives to saturation depth were tested and proven to be unsafe. The faster you go down is not a good thing. Fast descent rates, obviously narcosis, but you have other major issues psychological. At 1,200 feet, each breath has 37 times as much gas in it as on the surface. Freaking wow. amazing. That's a lot. Yeah. Doc, the guy that died a couple of weeks ago. Yes. He had three 150 cubic foot steel tanks, four aluminum 80s attached to him. Therefore, his weight with the tanks was at least 350 plus pounds. They said it's, he had other tanks on the line with him. So some estimated 700 pounds on that. So if you had a line to the surface, nobody could have pulled him up anyway. No, no, not not without taking that into account. Not without a or a crane. Interesting. If you were at 1,200 feet and had to make a free ascent, you would be in a world of hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there's – I mean, really all you're doing is bringing your body up for somebody else later because you're going to have – Well, if you had 37 times as much gas at 1,200 feet, you could exhale for a long, long time. Oh, you mean just the gas expanding as you go up? Yes. Yeah. That's true. But yeah. in the deep dark, man, you, you wouldn't know your ascent rate. You wouldn't know or you couldn't see your bubbles. No. No, that's that freaking terrifying. Yeah. Since you were talking deep diving, I thought I'd toss those facts in. No, that that's that's good good information. Now this this last one, we have a sub that is designed to kill starfish. I heard about that one. Yeah, so starfish, the crown of thorn sea star, is destructive and it's been uh, destroying coral reefs. Uh, they said that in some cases they they grow to massive populations, ten thousand or not 10,000, 100,000 per kilometer in a few years. So what they've done is they've developed robots that swim around and kill them. The cot spot from Queensland University of Technology can identify the starfish using machine learning and lower power computers because most of the hunting technology is building the robots. The cot spot doesn't 
have to connect to the surfaces it hunts when it's ready to ex- to exterminate simply injects a chemical called uh, thiosulfate citric bile salt sucrose agar and destroys the fish, resulting in discolored and necrotic skin ulcerations, loss of body turgor, uh, accumulation of colors, mucus, loss of spines, and large open sores that expose the internal organs. Sounds really pleasant. Yeah. I don't know if we really need to know that. Like, destroys the fish sounds good. Yeah, it, it dies. But uh, they've got a YouTube video that shows it working. And uh, as long as this keeps in the starfish, I'm okay. I'm a little nervous that they could just, like, you know, put in diver <laughs> and let it track. So what they've done is they've got some uh, visual uh, scanning that's doing. So it's it's trying to map and it identifies key uh, attributes of the starfish. And they said it can't get all of them, but it's a, it's a good aid uh, to reduce the numbers so the balance of them can be taken care of with uh, humans. That sort of makes you wonder something, though. You know, right now there's a big uh, controversy locally mm-hmm. with gassing the dog or giving it a shot. Oh, yes. Now, here I am. I am making this poor animal. Look what it's suffering. Skin alterations, open sores. It's like, now, wait a minute. Where's the hollering? You know, isn't that sort of odd that on one hand you're concerned with animals? On the other hand, it doesn't matter what they do. Well, I think part of it is who is doing this. And I bet the people who are complaining about the dogs are complaining about the starfish as well. It's just it's they're not uh, they don't have any big advocates for starfish, especially as an invasive species. Out of sight, out of mind. These are on the bottom of the lake. Nobody sees it. Nobody cares. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, for me personally, is just the the you know how much awareness does do these have? You know, I'd say the the brains and uh, nervous system of a starfish is greatly different than even a mouse, let alone uh, a cat or a dog. Yeah. So, well, I don't like to see anything uh, suffer. suffer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm for this. In fact, I would even like to see do the same approach for lionfish. It seems like that would be completely doable. You just yeah. kind of make one of these. You have a little uh, blender attachment where, you know, the starfish kind of get that starfish, the lionfish, gets brought into a section of the of the ROV and then once it's verified that it's a lionfish it's captured then bing bang he's gone through a little evisceration through a, a little shredder make <laughs> uh, fish food for the other ones yeah just spit it out the side and all the other fish in the reef go eh, thank you a little comment came about well what happened to the creatures when the other people eat the dead poisoned ones well, that and that that'd be the thing is what is the uh, effect of the environment of this poison? Uh, what my my guess is that it's such a you know when you're injecting it directly into the starfish, it's enough to cause a problem. But as the starfish breaks down, it's it's diluted enough. So unlo- yeah, but that'd be that's a valid question. Something that somebody should. Well, and then the guy also uh, mentioned what you did. Great. Next, they'll have robots that can kill humans. We're fishing in the wrong area or scuba diving where they shouldn't be. Well, if I was a military and I wanted to get to that point, this is the type of stuff you fund. Because the same thing that you need to use to identify a starfish can identify other things. Well, like they say, though, we already have them. It's called drones. Yes. And we have underwater drones also. Yep, yep. That's uh, That people that's... don't really realize. Yeah. God, that'd be scary, wouldn't it? Maybe, maybe that's the next movie I make, Killer Drone. Underwater autonomous drone that kind of shorts out and goes on its own. Just happens to meet us up on Max Rack. 
Well, that does it for Scuba News. Let's talk about some diving. Boy, there has been a lot of diving going on. Uh, so we've got more in the river. You had, a, what, a Thursday, Thursday dive this week? We've had, well, we'll see. We had the club picnic. We had a Saturday. Then it was such a fun time. Everybody went back on Saturday, Sunday. And because then people started bringing in, like, look what I found. Then there was a herd of them out there on Thursday. And then we've done the last two Thursdays after that. Yeah. So that's just a river. Oh. And it's it's warm enough that I couldn't wear a hood today. Oh, my goodness. I, I take the hood off and let water in my suit, which is great. And um, you're diving what suit? Yeah, oh, yeah. And there was enough crayfish out there. You could have had a lobster boil, and they were big. Fish out there, live clam. Uh, it was good. Of course, it was getting a little dark, and when we got out, it was dark. So having a flashlight would have been really good. And if you're going to do that at night in the river, you really do need to take lights and put on your dive flag because we did have fishermen out there in the boats. Oh, yeah, because it's starting to get dark now. Yes. Yeah, that's a good Very point. Very easily. It's a good point. Uh, yep. Yeah. I'm, so when when's the next Thursday, Thursday dive? Is there going to be one next week? or Should be the 17th. Yeah. And we got the big wolf saying Saturday. That's a Saturday? Yep, yep. Huh. I may I may go in early for that. Now, Jim is going to be out of town, isn't he? Jim will be back for that. He's coming back uh, Friday. Okay, so he's not staying for this next weekend. He he went early. That is correct. So what people uh, might not be aware of is that the Mud Club's Sheboygan Dive Trip, the annual big dive trip up to the Straits in Lake Michigan and Huron, uh, happens this coming up weekend, uh, and some of the hardy divers will have start, have been up there since last Thursday or Friday. Well, they were up Monday for sure during the collective diving. Yep. So we've got uh, Bob Sweeney, uh, Jim Schultz, uh, Kevin have been up there so far, and it looks like Randy. Has yeah, Randy was up. up there. Yep. And then this weekend, what will will Ken be up there? Does he go in this time? Nope. Nope. There are different items this week. Okay. So that uh, might. It, they dove a lot. I know they dove the in Duncan Bay. They started up their first mm-hmm. dive at the Jenny Lynn, the tug, yep. and two shallow wrecks. Uh, then they went out and they did the Cedarville. I think they've done the Cedarville a couple of times. I uh, know they did the Barnum again. Um, and they went, I can't remember where they went. They went someplace two and a half miles, two and a half hours drive away. And dove, oh. I think it was four wrecks. Oh, was that uh, Munising? I'm not sure. Because I think, I think they went to, up to Superior, too, for a dive. Yeah. So I'm sure uh, Jim will be able to give us a, a quick synopsis when he gets back next week. Yeah, I look forward to hearing that. And they've been having some hefty dive days, some four or five dives in a day, which is great. I mean, that's what you do when you travel. Well, when you're away from and that's your point, then you're yeah. going to do it. Yeah, they they had one, one day where the waves were quite high, so they had both boats out, and they said it was kind of choppy. They've also had some uh, situations, I think the first time on the, on the Cedarville, they had current. a really strong surface current. Yeah, ripping. Yeah, they said it was just ripping. But once you got down, uh, I think, what, 40, 50 feet, they said that it got to be a little bit more reasonable and you could swim against it. Right. Uh, they dove the Smith more in Lake Superior. Okay. Outside of Munising. Yep, Munising. Remember okay. that. Yeah. Yep. So it looks like they're having a great time. Now, is there any dives planned for this weekend, have you heard? Uh, well, I got, like I said, the wolf thing on, on Saturday. Saturday, I have not heard. Okay. Yes, I'm debating if I'm going to try and attempt it or not. Uh, I got a wedding Saturday, but I think Sunday I may be free. Uh, I'm going to the Ren Fair on Saturday, mm-hmm. the Michigan one. That ought to be interesting. Oh, nice. And a birthday party on Sunday. So, yep. But 
tentative, I would like to be out there again the 17th, which is that next Thursday, Thursday, okay. Thursday. And since I can't use my tanks, I will snorkel it again. Okay. Well, and I haven't nice. seen anybody post any pictures yet, but uh, I do believe everybody did pretty decent. Oh, for the finds today? Yes, tonight. Okay. Well, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, so I'll keep an eye out on Facebook. What we need to do is we need to get some of the stuff off of Facebook and put it onto the Mug Club That Scuba Obsessed because I noticed that Bob's doing a good job of giving dive reports. Yes. But we just need to... I have, I have tentatively got my list to do that. Okay. And remiss. Yep. So I am ready for that. Yes, yeah, so I have to update. It hadn't been updated since the middle of August. I've got enough for September, yeah. kicking in August. Yeah. So excellent. Some, some diving going on. This well, is like John. John brought his boat tonight because he was running out of space in this tube. That tells you how much crap we're bringing up. Yeah. And I think the, uh, Andy, the new guy mm-hmm. who dove tonight, yeah. I think he had three loads in the, in the, in the boat. Well, see, I would bring up more if I had something like a boat to put it in. Well, that's why you tow your float, inner tube float, or your two-man raft like yeah. we do, put the rugs in it. Now you got extra room. Yeah, last time I did the inner tube float, the current was too strong and that about killed me. Yeah. Uh, so if you got a boat that you can anchor and you throw stuff in, because I'd like to take up, I mean, it's it's all garbage, really. So either it's something you want to keep and stick on your shelf or it's something that needs to be thrown away. Uh, it should yeah. all come up. And then that way, if you take the bad stuff up, then when you come through it, you you got a better chance of anything you find being good. And not everything out there is garbage. No, I mean, there's some nice bottles. Yeah, maybe and if you and safes. Like <laughs> yeah, safes even better if you can get the ones that don't have the freaking door open. Yeah, yeah, the ones that have been pre uh, evacuated are not as quite, not <laughs> quite as much in them. Yeah, well, it's about that time, isn't it? I think it is. So let me see here what we've got. I've got uh, a list of a few of them. Wow, I, I got one. I think it's too long. We'll probably need that for night where we go short a little shorter well maybe i have to <laughs> oh that's right tomorrow september 11 isn't it no yep. that's 9 11 tomorrow wow that was my first week of unemployment when i retired really was it yep my wife called me into the living room and said look at this and i walked in there and i thought it was a, a film or a movie yeah and then when you realized it wasn't it's like son of a Gun. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Chicago. I was at a trade show and uh, we were just getting ready to head into the trade show and they had turned all the monitors. And this is in McCormick Place, downtown Chicago, there on the lakefront. And every monitor, and this is in CRT days, uh, was tuned to the, the first plane had crashed and the second one had just started. And that was on the screen and it was just so, unbelievable. Yeah. But I, I had a mission while I was there, so I, I went to the show, and the guy who traveled with me, he was so wigged out at it that he he was having he couldn't even concentrate. And we got to the booths, and many of these vendors at its uh, printing and publishing trade show uh, are not from the United States, and they were freaking out. I mean, the, the, they were convinced that Chicago was going to blow up too. And we later found out that Chicago was under a, th- a threat. Uh, and that there was some credible evidence that they were going to actually fly into the building where I was at. And there also, another one was for the uh, Sears Tower, which is now the, what they call Sears Tower now. Sears Tower, that's what I call it. That's what I call it too, I know, it's, but it's a oh, Ellis matter. Tower or something. They, you, know, you buy it, it's still the Sears Tower. Yeah, when I, I go there, it's there, there's Sears Tower. Yeah. 
But I can remember leaving from there and all the police that were out uh, directing traffic. And then we have a hot tub at home and it was, you don't realize how much air travel becomes background to you, but you could look up in the sky and there were no planes because all aircraft were grounded for, was it almost a week? Uh, bullshit. How about a month? Was it a month? Really? Um, where I was at, you know, they had zones because it was, they did uh, temporary flight restrictions on areas around nuclear plants. Yeah. We're within 10 miles of several nuclear plants. Yeah. Yeah. So legally we could not fly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was, uh, yeah, everything was shut down. So you're in the hot tub and it was just clear skies. Well, hopefully tomorrow is uneventful as, as far as anything goes that, that way. So, and, our, and, and it's interesting though, that they, those dates are the dates they like to redo something. So it will be uh, interesting. It will be. They like to, but I don't, th- have they really been able to do much on those dates since? They don't necessarily do it here. Okay. But that's it, a high threat date. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so here we go. An Eskimo goes out in a seal hunt for the first time. As the day wears on, he starts to get colder and colder. He thinks to himself, next time I'm going to bring some firewood. A few days later, he gets ready to head out to another hunt. He gathers firewood and loads it into his canoe. Sure enough, the snow and wind start to get him as he paddles along. He decides that rather than stop to light the fire, he'll make a small fire right there in his canoe. He gets the fire going, but then it burns through the bottom of the canoe, which sinks and he drowns. Goes to show you that you can't have your kayak and heat it too. <laughs> it's water related we should not give people credit for when they do one of those or send us one because it would be a glaring stamp across their names or something like a scarlet letter <laughs> yes like that big round circle with a hash through it yeah no <laughs> don't so on that note go out there and get wet and stay safe <laughs>